Good morning. Today we want to uh, evaluate the teachers of a uh, the, the lessons or the, the biblical views of a teacher named Pauline Hutchinson. <laughs> Pauline Joyce Hutchinson, or today known by her married name, Bible teacher Joyce Meyer. So just to throw you a curveball right there off the bat. Uh, Joyce Meyer was born in 1943. She's 75 years old, believe it or not. Charismatic Christian teacher and speaker and the president of Joyce Meyer Ministries. Meyer and her husband, Dave, have four grown children. Thank you. And live outside St. Louis, Missouri. Her ministry is headquartered near the St. Louis suburb of Fenton, Missouri. She's a very popular author, <coughs> conference speaker, has written many books, and a Bible teacher based again in the St. Louis area, has a multi-million dollar ministry, uh, from what I read on her website, at least from 2016, uh, incoming uh, funds of about 95 to $110 million a year. Um, again, extremely popular TV, radio programming called Enjoying Everyday Life, hundreds of radio, television stations it's heard on. She teaches on some very practical issues, and she's well-received, uh, uh, dealing with busy living, emotional healing, anxiety, addictions, self-discipline. She's especially loved by tens of thousands of women who hold her teachings up as being life-changing. matter of fact, as I went on and did the study and I started to write these things down, I felt like I'd be attacking somebody's beloved grandmother, so mm -hmm. I feel, feel that sometimes. <laughs> But we are commanded to test all things, especially those who are call themselves teachers, and examine those who claim to be or are held up to be a prophet, rightly dividing the word of truth to see if it is truly from the Lord. So she was born, Pauline Joyce Hutchinson. Uh, she was married uh, after high school, and that marriage only lasted five years. It was a troubled marriage. She was very young. Um... At the same time, she was uh, believed she was born again. She was re, uh, praying intensely while driving to work in 1976 when she heard God call her name. Uh, believed she was born again at the age of nine, but her unhappiness drove her deeper into her faith and says that she came home later that day from an appointment, quote, full of liquid love and was drunk with the Spirit of God. She said, I didn't have any knowledge, I didn't go to church, I had a lot of problems, I needed somebody to kind of help me along, and I think sometimes even people who want to serve God, they've got so many problems that they don't think right, they don't act right, they don't behave right, they almost need somebody to take them by the hand and help lead them through the early years. She began going to a Lutheran church in Missouri, but soon after began to lead an early morning Bible school uh, study class at a local cafeteria became a member in Life Christian Center which was a charismatic church in Fenton within a few years Meyer was associate pastor of the church and, she, and the church became one of the leading charismatic churches in the area largely because of Joyce Meyer and her popularity as a Bible teacher and um, in 1985 she resigned that post as associate pastor and began her own ministry in 1993, her husband, Dave Meyer, suggested that they started a television ministry, which they did. <clears throat> she even was offered several million dollars for the rights to buy some of the books and booklets that she had already written and published, which led to, in 2004, a St. Louis Christian television center operated by Larry, Reverend Larry Rice of New Life Evangelistic Center dropped her programming uh, on his television station, based he was a, a longtime supporter of Meyer, but he thought that her excessive lifestyle and her teachings, which often went beyond scripture, were his reason for canceling the program. She speaks humorously, sharing with her audience her own shortcomings. She's very folksy. She's very likable. If you've ever heard Joyce Meyer, um, she uh, it did claim in her website in up to 2016 that she had an earned PhD, which I did look up and saw that was true up before this. That has been changed now on her website to that she has an honorary degree from Life Christian University, an institution in Tampa, Florida. <coughs> so we're looking at the biography and then soon the theology. 
of Joyce Meyer. She owns several homes and travels in a private jet, Gulfstream 4, that has been criticized by some of her peers living an excessive lifestyle. She responds that she doesn't have to defend her spending habits because, quote, there's no need for us to apologize for being blessed. Meyer commented, you can be a businessman here in St. Louis and people think the more you have, the more wonderful it is. But if you're a preacher, all of a sudden it becomes a problem. But she has kind of the wrong views of who she's following. That's the problem. <clears throat> what is missing? What is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the early church, the thinking of the uh, apostolic church? In November of 2003, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch published a four-part special report detailing uh, Meyer's lifestyle of a $10 million corporate jet. This is 15 years ago, don't forget. This, this was a report done. $10 million corporate jet, husband's $110,000 silver gray Mercedes-Benz, $2 million home for her, and other houses worth $2 million for her four children, a $20 million headquarters, with a $5.7 million worth of furniture, artwork, and glassware, including a $30,000 Malachite round table, a $23,000 marble-topped antique commode, a $14,000 custom bookcase, $7,000 stations of the cross in Dresden porcelain, a $6,500 eagle sculpture on a pedestal, and another eagle made of silver, uh, that cost $5,000. Paintings purchased as well uh, for an additional $4,000, each among many other items paid for by the ministry. Uh, this article prompted Wall, Wall Watchers, which is a Christian nonprofit watchdog group, to call on the Internal Revenue Service to investigate Meyer and her family. So following the, this adverse uh, publicity about her lifestyle, the ministry watches request for a probe of the IRS. Joyce Meyer announced plans to take a salary reduction from the $900,000 per year she had been receiving, in addition to the half a million dollars that her husband received, and instead personally keep more of the royalties from her outside book sales, and which she had previously donated back to her ministry, which would be sold the royalty she would receive through uh, outlets such as Walmart, Amazon.com, and other bookstores while she would uh, used to donate that back. So, in reality, her reduction of her salary, but taking more royalties from her own books, actually increased her salary uh, to the effect of um, the effect of the personal compensation and reduced the revenues for her ministry. Her own public relations director, Mark Sutherland, confirmed that her new income would actually be way above her previous levels by reducing it. <coughs> Joyce Meyer's ministry was one of six ministries investigated from 2007 to 2011. This is what I started first to hear about Joyce Meyer a little bit. Into the, in the, the United States Senate inquiring into the tax-exempt status of religious organizations led by Senator Chuck Grassley. The inquiry sought to determine if Meyer had made personal profit from these donations and a detailed account of these surgeries, foreign bank accounts, and, and other items such as the $23,000 commode mentioned earlier. <coughs> uh, but, to, but to the ministry's credit, and to her credit, she did report back. She was only... Uh, one of two people, two ministries that actually reported back with full accountability to the IRS. Uh, there were four others mentioned, Benny Hinn and several others, which are Kenneth Copeland, which did not fully return information. They weren't legally bound to do it, but they did not. But Joyce Meyer, to her credit, did and promised to uh, be part of an evangelical <coughs> accountability organization, which would give uh, financial reports each year, and she has done that. Now on to the theology of uh, some of the things that we find in her belief systems or what is taught. So again, Joyce doesn't, she teaches many good things like many teachers do. But unfortunately, one of the most striking and unbiblical and problematic teaching from Joyce Myers is teaching on the atonement of Christ, which you may somewhat be somewhat familiar with. What happened between Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection, that's the, that's the issue that they, she would teach, and many others uh, like that teach as well. It isn't so much <coughs> that 
Meyer doesn't believe in the atonement of Jesus. The problem lies where he paid for our sins. Where did he pay for the sins? Now, I'm going to be taking statements from a booklet or a book that was written in 1991, and it's still, you can buy it today on Amazon.com. It's called The Most Important Decision You Will Ever Make. It's pretty readily accessible, and it's been revised slightly, <coughs> even to this doctrine, but not really all the way. Her revisions, have some have been made, and that's one of the things you'll see about uh, these kinds of teachers. They, they get to revise things, <coughs> which is possible, but in what spirit? We'll see. <coughs> so, this booklet teaches that after Jesus died on the cross, he went to hell not to proclaim a, the gospel or announce his victory as some might believe, but he went to hell to be tortured for three days and three nights by Satan and his demons as part of the punishment for our sins. After three days of demons jumping all over him and laughing at him, God finally had enough, and seeing that the price for sin was finally paid, God ended the suffering, and Jesus physically rose from the dead as the first born-again man. This, this teaching is not new. Um, it's been taught in different ways by uh, many in the Word of Faith movement, such as Benny Hinn, Frederick Price, Charles Capps, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, and, and many others. Uh, the spiritual death of Jesus, it's sometimes called. So the world uh, wide, the Word of Faith movement, which is loosely based on Romans 10.8, where Paul says this is the Word of Faith which we preach, which has nothing to do with what they're taking the Word of Faith. It's talking about the Gospel is the Word of Faith, is what we preach. But it's, it's possibly taken from that verse. Uh, the Word of Faith movement is a worldwide Christian movement that teaches that Christians can access the power of faith or fear by your words, by your speech. And it's true, words are powerful. Scripture tells us that. But that's the uh, belief system is that we can access in a powerful, supernatural way uh, what we want to see happen or come about. Some call it positive confession. You may have heard that. And, and others call it the health and wealth gospel or the name it and claim it gospel. You've probably heard some of those terms. <coughs> So, in her 1991 booklet here, The Most Important Decision You'll Ever Make, she writes, During that time that he, Jesus, entered hell, where you and I deserve to go because of our sin, he paid the price there. No plan was too extreme. Jesus paid on the cross and in hell. I'll also be quoting from an audio clip by uh, Craig Brown, which is on the website Fighting for the Faith. And you can find this uh, on the internet. Craig Brown, it's a very interesting audio clip, which is not readily available, but I got to hear it. <clears throat> I'm going to be quoting. Um, it's actually from an audio clip which she titled uh, From the Cross to the Throne. And it's, it's listed again by Craig Brown, if you want to write that name down and look it up on, on YouTube. So what I'm quoting... Word for word, I actually heard it on, on audio clips. It's, it comes with each passage. And my wife and I got to hear him as well, hear her say these statements. So this idea of the, the atonement of Christ in hell begins like this. She said, this is the audio clip, The devil thought he had it. The devil thought he had won. Oh, they were having the biggest party that has ever been had. They had my Jesus on the floor. And they were standing on his back, jumping up and down, laughing, and he had become sin. Don't you think that God was pacing, wanting to put a stop to what was going on? All the hosts of heaven were up on him, up on him, up on him. The angels are in agony. All the creation is groaning. All the hosts of hell was up on him, up on, and they got him. They got him down in the floor, and they got on him, and they were laughing and mocking. Ha ha, you trusted God. And look where you ended up. You thought he would save you and get you off that cross. He didn't. Ha ha. Uh, she also wrote in her booklet now, so I'll be going back forth from statements from a booklet to the audio tape. She said, There is no hope of anyone going to heaven unless they believe this truth, which she's mentioning, that I'm presenting. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe with all your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. <coughs> Now, we're not talking about some small uh, detail here that we can debate or it's something that we would not consider a large issue. It's a pretty large issue, I think you can tell. Um, what cannot be considered in what we just heard is that Jesus paid our sins in hell. Jesus did not pay for our sin in hell. The Bible's 
extremely clear in that it was on the cross that our fine was paid. It was on the cross where the blood was spilled and accepted as a ransom for us. But this, this doctrine is not only common to Word of Faith teachers, but to other uh, false teachers and even religions as well. Uh, to take attention away from the cross, the Mormons teach that Jesus paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane. Islam teaches that Jesus never died on the cross, but perhaps Judas was put in his place. Christian science teaches that Jesus didn't even die because death is an illusion. But 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, not in hell. Ephesians 1.7 says, We have redemption and forgiveness through his blood, not through his suffering in hell. And remembering the words that Jesus spoke on the cross before he gave up his spirit in John 19, he said, It is finished. Um... Joyce Meyer fails to understand the words, it is finished. Uh, One translator uh, writes, it is one word which means to complete a process or to pay in full. Fully done. But the Word of Faith camp will teach extra-biblical doctrines, which comes along easily because they have what they believe is called revelation knowledge. Or a nice card to have in your pocket when you can take it out and change the view of the scripture. Or evolving knowledge. In other words, God may update them. Uh, They can change beliefs. Simply, you and I might... Have you ever heard somebody say, God told me that's revelation knowledge. God told me to tell you that's revelation knowledge. (coughs) She tries to substantiate her teachings as coming from God, even though the Bible doesn't actually ever teach this. It's through a direct revelation from God's Spirit to her spirit. She said in her audio clip this, The Bible can't even find any way to explain this. Not really. That is why you've got to get it by revelation. There are no words to explain what I'm telling you. I have got to trust God that he is putting it into your spirit like he put it into mine. And she continues on now with this experience of Jesus in hell. Well, here he comes. Here comes Jesus into hell. Now, I don't know what hell looks like, but God gave me a few ideas. It is hot, fire hot, but at the same time, it is cold and clammy. That's kind of different, isn't it? Fire hot, but cold and clammy. But where does the Bible say that hell is cold and clammy? But this is the kind of thing that Joyce Meyer and others in the Word of Faith movement do. They appeal to special revelation and teach it as though it is strictly uh, from the Scripture when it has no basis at all. It's a way to make themselves appear to possess an anointing from God that you don't possess, and it's a way to get you to believe what they are teaching. <clears throat> she even goes on to state in, in brief that according to her, the church never knew this through its history. For 2,000 years, basically, the church didn't even know what happened uh, between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. That's until these Word of Faith teachers told us what happened. Uh, another clip, another quote from her audio clip. Do you know something? A large majority of the church really doesn't even know. Honestly and truly, they really don't even know. Well, you're going to know when this night is over. Speaking now about the end of the torture of hell of, uh, in, of Christ in hell, she uh, says this quote. Sunday morning, here comes the sun. Sunday morning, God gets himself together. Justice has been met somehow. Everything has been taken care of. And oh, God gets his voice together and he hollers up three words and they go roaring through the universe and entering the gates of hell. He said, God, he said, it is enough. It is enough. So this is what God said in to speak of Jesus in hell. She also seems to teach or indicate that in this time frame, as Jesus was about to be born again, so this is kind of a linking theology here, that Jesus um, ceased to be the Son of God for a period of time. He died and he went to hell for three days and three nights, where Jesus was beaten and mocked by the devil and his angels. It was this suffering in hell that paid for our sins, Uh, She teaches that God had had enough of watching Jesus being beaten and demons jumping all over him. God finally got himself together and he yelled out, It is enough. 
which is nowhere found, obviously, in the scripture. So this is the point where we find out that Jesus was the first man to be born again. <clears throat> so now I'm referring back to her booklet, mm -hmm. the 1991 booklet, The Most Important Decision You Will Ever Make. She, she writes, and I quote, God rose up from his throne and said to the demon powers tormenting the sinless Son of God, Let him go. Then the resurrection power of the Almighty God went through hell and filled, filled Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead, the first born again man. It's interesting. This is also a heresy not just taught by her, but by several other Word of Faith teachers like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Frederick Price, Benny Hinn, and, and others as well. So the teaching is that on the cross Jesus died spiritually somehow. Not that he was becoming a sin offering on whom God poured out his divine wrath, but that Jesus uh, died spiritually, ceasing to be the Son of God, and then somehow was born again. Another quote from Joyce Meyer speaking of Jesus' inability to help himself, even though he said, if you remember, all authority is given to me, I have power to what? Lay down my life, mm -hmm. I have power to take it again. Mm -hmm. Well, in her view, there's a point where he didn't have power, where he was out of power. He was dead, I guess, spiritually, dead spiritually in some sense. She said this, quote, on the audio clip <coughs> by Craig Brown. He could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands. At that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. Interesting. But God cannot cease to be God, ever. And Jesus never ceased to be the Son of God. Yes, he had humanity in the incarnation. Uh, he took upon himself our sin, and he underwent God's holy wrath for us, but he never ceased to be deity, Never did he cease to be the Son of God. Hebrews 13.8 even says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no point in eternity, past, or future where he ceases to be the Son of, the, of Almighty God himself. So back to this idea that Jesus was born again now after he was tortured by these demons and, and punished. Uh, he, she said here in the audio clip, and I quote, Do you know something? The minute that blood sacrifice was accepted, Jesus was the first human being that was ever born again. Now that was real. It happened when he was in hell. Quote. I don't know where they would even get this from, except for, I, I wondered that my small viewpoint was, I guess, where the scripture says he was the firstborn over all creation. And some do take that as being, even some of the cults take it as Jesus was created like a, an angel or something, you know, some Joe's witnesses or so. But uh, in this case, saying firstborn over creation, I'm not even sure that's where they get it from. That first idea of firstborn over creation just meant he is preeminent. He is first priority over creation. Not that he was had to be born again, which again raises problems. If he had to be born again, then what are we insinuating? That he needed to be born again? That there was a flaw in him? That there was a problem? Mm -hmm. So we ask ourselves, was was Jesus a sinner? No, because he claimed himself. Who, which of you can convict me of sin? He had to be the perfect sacrifice. Was he born with original sin? No. He was born sinless. Um, so Joyce Meyer seems to be confusing her, her teachings uh, and, and instead of seeing it as a holy and sinless Lamb of God, Passover Lamb, she seems to confuse it somehow. She doesn't say that he had sin as much as he had to be born again, the firstborn man. The fact that Jesus did not need to suffer in hell to atone for our sins is evident in Luke 23:43. This passage may have already occurred to you, by the way, when he said to the thief on the cross, right? Have you thought of this already? Mm -hmm. Where Jesus said to the repentant thief, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, that fixes it, right? That, no, she knows that. Verses there, that passage is there. The false teachers know that, so they fix that. They have an explanation for that verse because they know it's problematic um, and again this is part of the Jehovah's Witness theology too to change that passage as well um, that man does not have an immortal soul that lives on that's their belief that lives on after death but in her theology it's another slant 
that she knows that these two couldn't be, Jesus and the thief on the cross couldn't be together in paradise that day because Jesus still had to go descend into hell and to be tortured before going to paradise. So what does she do? How do you get around that verse? Well, it's actually kind of silly in, in a way. It's not a powerful argument, but it's used. And this is her quote, so you'll, you'll hear her answer. So she refers to this passage. And in Luke 23, 43, Jesus said unto him, I say unto you, today you shall be in paradise with me. She said, there is no punctuation in the original translations of the Bible. We have punctuated it. And in this particular scripture, it was punctuated wrong, says Joyce Meyer. They put it in there, I say, they put in there, I say unto you, comma, today you shall be with me in paradise. Making making it appear that the minute Jesus died on the cross, he went straight to paradise, right? She says, no, 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 he did not. The way it should read is, I say unto you, today, comma, Okay, you get that? I say unto you today, comma, so she explains it this. I say unto you today, comma, I am telling you this today. Today I'm telling you that you are going to be in paradise with me. But he didn't say you're going to be there today. He said, I am telling you this today. Wow. So there again, you see verses completely taken out of context and twisted, which is fairly common. Which does, that would make absolutely no sense at all to say that. Because first of all, here's a couple arguments against it, if you need it. There's dozens of times in the scripture where Jesus says today, and he meant today. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Today, not tomorrow, not last week. Today, it's fulfilled. Dozens of times. Maybe one writer says maybe as, as many as 70 times. So these are all that way except for this one time. And another time, which shows that it's illogical, is what day was Jesus talking about? With respect to the Lord, he's on the cross. He's dying that day. So he's not talking about another day. He's going to be, he's going to die on the cross today. So he certainly wasn't making it yesterday or tomorrow. It would be a waste of his words. So what day would Jesus be talking about if he said today? But that very day itself. So that's the way to alleviate or try to alleviate that problem. But again, that's revelational knowledge, you see. That's how it can be explained away because they have that knowledge that is given especially to them to change the scripture, which has been understood to be that way logically. And it's true, there's no commas in the ancient Greek per se manuscripts, but the translations and who, who scholars over you know, many hundreds and, and thousand years have been consistent, logical, and reliable. But Joyce Meyer and the Jehovah's Witnesses have changed it, twisting the scriptures to make it fit their own theology and their own doctrine. Okay, so that's kind of the atonement error that you've gone mm-hmm. kind of walked through there and how it links up. Another um, false doctrine that she teaches, and again, I, I, it's a kind of a broad um, idea. She doesn't define it per, per, perfectly, but she teaches the idea that in sinless perfection, hmm. sinless perfection heresy, um, that she no longer sins. And again, I don't know what she would really mean. I can't sit down and talk with her, but her clip goes like this. The audio clip says, All I was ever taught to say was I was a poor, miserable sinner. I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. This is a lie from the pit of hell. This is what I were, and if I was still, then Jesus died in vain. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head. I wasn't a sinner anymore, and the religious world thinks that is heresy, and they want to hang you for it. But the Bible says that I am righteous, and I can't be righteous and be a sinner at the same time. Oh, it's interesting how she can kind of touch something which is sort of truthful in that yes we don't want to go on sinning uh, like Paul says let us sin that grace may abound at the same time we still do sin and this can be a part of the problem of another uh, doctrine which I won't get too much into but the the little God doctrine I think it links you know almost like this deity this 
godhood we reach, small g, mm. that many false teachers and word of faith teachers teach, that God has or God has created man in His image, so therefore we act, we are have the right, the divine right, to act as little gods. There's a there's a tape. I didn't write it down. I didn't quote it to you, but it said something like this: that if God made chicken, then what follows after that is the chicken kind, and if God made cattle, what follows after that is the cattle kind. This is her way of saying it. And she goes, and and what follows after man, who's made image of God, is the God kind. Small g, God kind. So they see it as we are entitled with rights and privileges and obligations. And it's true, we do have rights and obligations and privileges before the living, all-powerful God. We do have authority to come into his presence and pray and worship and, and to be bold. But what she's doing is accessing almost like it's our individual rights to, to selfishly or as we wish have God at our beck and call. And that God has to answer us because he has said we have this right to basically command him to do as we wish. And of course that's obviously false. Uh, there are other doctrines he teaches as well. I just wanted to touch on a few. Uh, now these were quoted, I, I, I'm not quoting them word for word, but I'll just give you a brief outline, by the CRI, which is Christian Research Institute, which again you can look up on the internet. Um, a study of Joyce Meyer's beliefs and some of the things they wrote down. Now, these are a little more uh, kind of out there, but I thought I'd say them anyway. <laughs> um, she believes that certain words cause certain reactions. Like if you say a certain word, it, it can cause an emotion. Or um, There was one lady that was in one of her uh, conferences and said that, this is not Joyce Meyer's fault, but she told Joyce Meyer's that every time she said the word deep, the woman fell out of her chair, and so she thought that was great. Um, she tell she does teach Joyce believes, and I've heard, read this of her own interview, that she believes that if she's ever wrong, that God will tell her that she's in error. He will tell her. She believes that angels help her preach with her, that angels preach with her in the church or wherever she is. And that the angels give her anointed statements. <laughs> and that that they literally bend over and help speak anointed statements into her ear. She believes, and again, I don't know how to take this too far. You know, not, I'm just letting you know some of the general things. She believes that some jewelry that is worn can attract evil spirits. She believes in generational spirits, which is, of course, teaching that you have been plagued or you can be plagued by sins of your forefathers. Again, that's an Old Testament scripture taught in a different relation to covenant. But this idea that you're innocent, but you still have some kind of demonic power over you because of other generations before you. And some following generations that I'm born may also have those same demonic powers influence them as well. Um, she believes that there are mind-bending spirits of unbelief. And this one was interesting. She believes that there's demons of accidents, that she was coming out of a parking lot one time and almost a car almost hit her, so she rebuked the spirit of accidents. You find the thing I see is, and, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but the word witchcraft, and again, we think of witchcraft, it couldn't mean anything. But in the scripture, especially in New Testament, it's interesting that the word witchcraft or, or the idea of mixing things, we get the word pharmacy from. Right, and pharmacists do what? They mix together recipes and potions to make a medicine or to make effect something to happen. And so, when the word of faith teaches, or any false teacher, what you find is that there's a mixing of things together, revelational knowledge outside of themselves, or experiences they may have had, or adding it all up to become this ingredient where it becomes the recipe of whatever it is they want to happen. Witchcraft is a, a making, using our speech to get to manipulate people. We can even practice this if we're not careful. Manipulating people. Saying things to get what we want. That's a form of witchcraft, by the way. In a, in a small way. She would also believe that we're not receiving good things from God sometimes, or we don't uh, or we're receiving hard, hard things or evil things from Satan because of basically three reasons. One is sin in your life. Two is a lack of faith, which is always hard to know, and generational spirits, as I just mentioned before. Um, suffering to the word of faith teachers is something unheard of. It's only brought about by the devil. It's always something to be rebuked. It's to be denied. Now, I just want to 
share some scriptures with you on, on some things the scriptures say about not having everything we want or even the possibility and, and then um, we'll, we'll have if you have any questions you can ask them in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15 uh, God sends Ananias to go speak to, to the Apostle Paul or the, to become the Apostle Paul you remember the story mm-hmm. and what does God say to, An- to tell Ananias about the commissioning of the Apostle himself part of this commission would be this he said Ananias was nervous so he said go this is my chosen vessel he's going to speak to the Gentiles he's going to speak to kings of Israel and what's the last thing God says this was his whole life of Paul to be he says and he must see how much he will suffer for my name his whole commissioning is about suffering which you, as you read Paul's life came to pass now what did Paul do to deserve that I guess some might even go, some false teachers might say maybe he deserved that, but of course he didn't. It wasn't something that he brought about on his own doing. Now here's some scriptures here, and talk about trials that we go through and difficulties that we go through. Uh, I found this interesting in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. speaks about actually when we became born again, and I thought this was fascinating. Not everyone may experience this, but some of you may experience when you were first saved an illumination, an an enlightenment. I hope that doesn't sound strange talking today. An illumination from the Spirit of God, an illumination into the Scriptures, to being able to communicate with the Lord, uh, seeing things now through a different... Because you're born again, because you are literally recreated. But what came, or what can come to us immediately, right after we're even born again? Suffering. The Scripture tells us this. Uh, the writer to Hebrews, trying to keep the uh, the people that he's addressing confident in their faith and not to be discouraged, he says this: Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light. See that after you were illuminated. Remember the early days, Christians, when you were first saved. That's what he's telling these people in Hebrews, the Christians. He says you endured in a great conflict, full of suffering. It started right off the bat. <laughs> Christian warfare and Christian suffering starts right away. Not always your fault. So he says, remember when you first received the light? This, you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by, side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those who were in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Now that's, that's very interesting because while Joyce Meyer and other Word of Faith teachers become richer and richer and acquire more and more property, the Scripture tells us that the early Christians experienced a taking of their property and they rejoiced in it, if you can believe that. He says, you joyfully accepted not getting tons of acreage and jets, but the confiscation of your property. And now here's the, thing, here's the key. There's one thing I want you to walk away with today, especially. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That's one thing I found. Just kind of happened accidentally. As I'm, Aha! I realized there's one thing that these Word of Faith teachers never, I can't say never, hardly ever, if never, ever talk about. Heaven! Why? Why don't they talk about heaven? Because it's about the here and now. Your life, your best life now. Why do they want to talk about treasures in heaven when we can have treasures on earth? I don't care about heaven. That's pie in the sky to some people. That's yeah, yeah, heaven, right? Then now is what I'm talking about. So I'm afraid to say possibly the false teachers don't talk about heaven because if they're talking about heaven, then someone would say, well, then why are we so worried about us getting all rich here? What are we so worried about getting all these properties and jets and and million dollar mansions if we're talking about heaven? If we have lasting possessions? Didn't Jesus say, store up treasure where? In heaven, right? Not on earth where it can be corrupted and lost and destroyed immediately if if it happens. And that's fascinating. They will not talk about heaven because it would go against everything they're teaching. So the scripture says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what has been promised. We're talking about heaven. Now in the book of James, uh, this kind of continues, I think. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he starts out the book 
the epistle like this. He says to the believers that were scattered, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. What? What? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, and it means many, many kinds means many lights, like all types of trials. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. Now, why should we consider it pure joy when you face many trials and kinds? He said, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Not even patience, perseverance, ability to go forward. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, isn't that interesting? The Scripture is telling us this, that if we're always trying to avoid trials, and I'm not saying we should look for trouble, but trials that come to us without our wish or desire, let's say, or suffering or conflict that comes away to you that you didn't ask for, you didn't deserve per se, but it comes to you. If we're always trying to avoid these trials of many kinds and lights, he says we're actually harming ourselves spiritually, if you can believe that. If you're always looking to take the easy road in life, you're harming yourself spiritually. Why? Because testing produces perseverance because you finally give in. You finally pray. You finally subdue. You finally submit to God. You Not weak. You stop fighting and you go towards the Lord and His wisdom. Then he says, let perseverance finish its work. You may be mature and complete. means to finish. That word for complete means to come to the end of the intended uh, destination where God wants you to be. So to avoid these things as the false teachers teach or to take them or to despise them or to seek some way out easily is actually hurting themselves spiritually, as you can tell by their beliefs, are not really great, not really mature and complete. And then the next book, 1 Peter 4, tells us this. And again, this does not get to do with our, pro our fault, per se. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And it tells us here back in chapter 4, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And that's the attitude we have. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed but praise God you bear that name for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator. So we find that suffering is not, it's not something pleasant at the time. It's difficult, but that's what God uses in our life to grow us and advance us and to get us to hopefully have more and more perseverance. Anybody have anything you wanted to, last few minutes that's, um, that we have that you wanted to add on? Some things you may know? or <laughs> I, Not that I know. I just wonder what do you suppose is... I, there was a gentleman here last week and he came up to me yeah. and he was talking about... <clears throat> and, you know, the thing I like about Joyce Meyer is she really empowers people. And I didn't have time to get into, you know, any dialogue and I didn't want to start a fight. Right. Right. What do you suppose the draw is? Right. So many people, some say they like her folksy style and it's all. Yes, yes. I don't seem to be that, but what do, you, what do you suppose is the biggest draw? Right, and even now, just add on what you're saying, if you go to her website today, mm -hmm. it, after hearing this, you'll say, oh, that's two different people you're talking about because the website's beautiful today. I mean, it's all Christ-centered, it seems missions-oriented, helpful. She's always talking about helping people, helping people, helping people. That's all she wants to do. Mm -hmm. But the draw, I think, like you said, is the, the folksiness, the seeming, you know, she wants to help, care, and appeals to a lot of people. The teaching appeals because it's like Joel Osteen, like mm -hmm. you talked about last week, because it appeals to our flesh. It, it's the easier way. It's great. It's, God wants to give you this. Um, he wants you to have it now, today, and of course, look at our world and how much you struggle and suffer and the evil that's around us every day. We all want to, would like a light somewhere and to be, have peace in there somewhere, so that's possible. Go ahead. It's funny how, like, looking back, like, how Jesus' ministry was, how many times when he was preaching, that how many people fell away or turned away from him because of what he was preaching. Right. Because his teaching was so hard, they couldn't understand it, they didn't like it. They all fell away. But the guy with these other false teachers, people were all walking to them. Good point. Good point. Yeah, and, and 
uh, you're right, false teachers seem to keep gaining converts while Jesus kept losing them, you know, in, on the earth, I mean. In his, in his earthly ministry, the unbelievers rejected that. Um, that's a good point there. Gary, what are you going to say? Uh, this teaching about Jesus being born again in hell, two questions I have. Where did that originate? Was it with her, with another teacher? And secondly, if he was the first one to be born again, how is he a model then for us who are born again? Where's the similarity between him being born again and us being born again? Right. So what is her view of being born again? I know. I'm sorry. I can't. I don't know the detail where it actually started. I don't know if anybody really knows. Um, some of these teachings go back to a man named um, Kenyon, mm-hmm. is it E? What is this? I forget his initials, but it's E F or E W Kenyon, yeah. who taught the. He was actually part of like the positive light they called it, and um, that could have been where the, some of that came from. But as far as what does it mean for us today, that's a that's a great question. Um, I don't see how it can really jive because it's illogical. Jesus didn't have somebody need to be born again. I don't know what that has to do with us. Ken. Does she ever talk about <coughs> what she knows about Revelation? And if she does, how does she uh, answer Revelation 22, 18, and 19? And what does that read that? I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. Right. I would say there's probably a comma there that's out of place, probably. (laughs) I'm surprised, and we don't know whether this person that talked to you about it, about a man wanting to listen to a woman preacher. Right. I I was at Elizabeth Elliott's conference, and she made sure there was no man anywhere around before she talked to them. Right. That's true. That's the beginning point. Right. I couldn't even get into that whole idea, that's another study of itself, is the idea of women in a ministry or pastoral or teaching men and all that. Of course, scripturally speaking, I couldn't even get into that, but I, I, you're, you're understanding that from the beginning. Um, and there is a problem with that. And there's a problem, obviously, and there's a problem also with other Christian leadership who seem to be not having a problem with that. And that yeah. seems to be confusing a lot of people. I was reading, very briefly, uh, Ravi Zachariah supposedly condones this some condones her agrees with her has been with her I found it kind of startling myself Ravi Zachariah is usually a great apologist but where there was an interview and and I didn't read all of it because I wasn't really interested right at that time but that was kind of fascinating that some of them, people have been upset that Ravi Zachariah seems to embrace her and was up on stage and called her a great Bible teacher and that was kind of odd um, I heard Elizabeth Elliot many times at Forty Conwell, and um, it was always a mixed audience. But yeah, she, yeah, and she did teach at the school. Yeah. And so um, now, when we were at, when I was at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, they only had men in morning services, but she spoke at an evening service. Right. Okay. Yeah, there's all kinds of, and I found there's all kinds of reasonings for that, which I never really bought. I was always waiting to hear. That's how sometimes the women who teach women start. It starts out purely women, but it eventually evolves into teaching men as well. It seems to be anyway. With that, it's it's inevitable, right? I think instructive or helpful in the gospel talking about Christ. The people who heard him were either astonished or amazed or marvelled, and they would ask, "Where did he get this authority?" And uh, just the mere, I was just the mere changing of a comma, changing yes. the mind. We can just gravitate back to the scripture. But it shows you again the level of those who she's teaching. These poor people wouldn't have enough knowledge or sense to know. I, I don't mean to disrespect them. Biblical sense, not ignorance in the mentality. Mm-hmm. But to say, oh, I wouldn't even know. Someone in this room might say, well, obviously that's a terrible thing to bring up. That's horrible. But those who you, the false teachers teach, sometimes they have no knowledge and want to hear this, and it's a wonderful thing. And speaking of a brother back there talking about Jesus being rejected, I thought that one of the most fascinating things Jesus said, which was so true spiritually and psychologically, is this. He said, if a man comes in his own name, what? He's accepted. But if he comes in another's name, He's not accepted. Isn't that fascinating? When you come in the name of Christ alone, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you had your own ministry, you know, and I'm not, I, I know there's many people, godly people, who have their name with their ministry, so I'm not condemning that. But if I came in my own name and I'm, 
you know, very Christian evangelistic, and it's all about me, and you know, people come to hear me. But if it's but when Jesus spoke, he always was about the Father. Do you remember that? So they rejected him. And they reject Paul. And they rejected anyone who comes in another's name. If you come in your own name, people love to gather around you. What's he got? What's, what's she saying? But if you come in another's name, they're like, yeah, whatever. It's somebody else. And if it's God, they certainly don't want to hear that. Harrison? I have a Wow. Yes. Amen. Definitely false teachings. Definitely don't want to be under that kind of teaching. And you made me think when he says an angel speak, preaches another gospel, who is speaking in their ears? Angels telling her a different thing. So, to conclude, I would just say this, because we get so, where we live, we forget where we live. The reason why the Word of Faith gospel even has any effect is because, I can say one word, America. Mm. Western Hemisphere, Europe. Mm. Take, take this gospel to Kenya, to the Sudan. Uh, Denise, my wife and I were looking up these children. There are children, and I thought it was just India, but you ever hear of the world's largest dump? They, it goes for miles and miles and miles. And people live like this. And children live literally and spend their lives literally in dumps, in trash dumps, and Vietnam, and Cambodia, and the Philippines, and Thailand, and India. I didn't know it was like all over the world. And there's video clips you can watch, and children literally... Make and, and women, and I didn't see many men there, but some women, moms, and they, they get cardboard, plastic, they make a, a shanty, whatever they can do, among the trash and with the animals. And I thought, I didn't see any Joyce Meyer books there. Because it doesn't matter there. It would have no effect there. They don't care about word of faith. They're not going to speak into existence something that they just want to survive. But we live in America. That's why word of faith has power. With, with there's wealth to be had there's like Paul says we are not those who peddled the gospel for profit there's always a profit in religion there always is and those who cannot seem to do something will find a way to make money sadly sometimes to religion but if it were not for the wealth there would be no word of faith that's why it's called health and wealth any last one before we close on a prayer Thank you. Very good. Are you going to say, Julie? I was just going to comment that it's interesting. In the theology class I've been taking, it's been on the end times, and we just did hell last week. And in her focus is, in one sense, on hell, but when you review the general culture's view of hell, it's very dismissive. Right. And so, and then she, if you are somewhat, you focus on that, but the culture in general dismisses it, right. then it leaves them free right. to create the heaven of their own right. mind. Right. Um, and because she's not giving anything to direct them there. Right. And she's not talking about the true hell at all either. Yeah, she's just she she's not saying what's the point of hell. Why is hell there, and why we need to not you know we avoid hell. So it, it, she's distorting the. Oh thing. sure. And then it leaves everybody up to create their own theology. Sure. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know better. Yeah. 